Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Bob Schneider joins me on this newest installment of Wheels Off from his home in Austin, Texas. And he keeps it real. In true Bob Schneider fashion, you hear all of the crazy thoughts bouncing around in his brain. Um, by the way, that is not a official diagnosis. His thoughts just strike me as crazy because he is a goofball. And he is a brilliant artist. He is all of the above. It's funny how frequently those things go hand in hand. During the course of this interview, there will be a few things that, gosh, I don't know, might trigger you. There's stuff. Obviously, there's there's cursing. Um, probably the most of any of my interviews so far. It does run a little long and... Once the floodgates open on the F-bombs and whatnot, it's um, pretty full bore after that. There is, um, there are probably a couple of jokes in here that flirt with the line of what is acceptable, but that's who Bob is. I mean, I think that I can give you a... Um, I can confirm that his heart's in the right place. I can vouch for him as like, a pretty good guy. So anyway, my point is that when he sort of comes right up against the line of what is um, okay to talk about, I, you know, I think he's coming from a good place. I'm probably making more out of this than I need to. I just want you to know going in that this wheels off gets a little, you guessed it, wheels off. Please welcome Bob Schneider. Welcome to Wheels Off, Bob Schneider. Thank you so much for joining me. It's good to be here. Now, why is it called Wheels Off? Um, so there's a radio station in Dallas called The Ticket that a bunch of my friends work at, and I'll listen to it every once in a while on the stream. And they, for whatever reason, when stuff gets um, crazy, they refer to it as being Wheels Off. I think it's like a um, an auto race idea, mm -hmm. like the wheels fall off the car. Like you're going so fast that your wheels just fly off the car and you're just skidding down on your axles. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's what this podcast is <laughs> dangerous, uh, out of control vehicular wow. problem. Well, you know, recently I, someone for, with a marketing <laughs> with, with some marketing savvy, which is more than my no marketing savvy, amount that I have said that it would be good if there was some sort of explanatory, um, you know, subtitle to the show. So now it's called wheels off conversations about creativity. Oh, nice. So there you go. No marketing savvy. You, I feel like you do have marketing savvy though, Bob. You, oh, 
I wish I I had like I'm anti-marketing savvy. Dude, I'm the worst. There are people that are so smart. Have you ever heard have you ever heard Bo Burnham interview? Yeah. No, I haven't, but I know yeah. the Bo Burnham phenomenon. You've never heard him interviewed. He's so brilliant. And he knows what he's doing. Like he knows why his music works. He knows why his films work. He's so aware of it. And you know, the other guy that's super smart is Jeff Tweedy. Oh yeah. That guy's so smart. He, he just knows what he's doing. I dude, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no clue. People are like, Hey, will you write a song for this? I'm like, I don't know how to write a song for something. (laughs) I mean, I know how to write a song. I know how to catch a butterfly as it flitters past my eyesight, but I don't know how to hunt down a certain type of butterfly that's in the, you know what I mean? I don't know how to do that. But you famously have a group of songwriters who write sort of on cue. So you're giving people like a cue and then you're all writing a song around a word or a phrase, we, right? So, well, we I, I send I send this group of songwriters a prompt every week and they have to write a song incorporating the prompt, but the prompt's not necessary. It's like stone soup. You know, the fable of stone soup. Yeah. It's the stone and stone soup, the prompt. I don't, even, I don't even look at the prompt. I just write a song. And then at the end of the song, I'm like, oh, what was the prompt? And then see if I can shoehorn it in. <laughs> that, that, that seems like cheating. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's all cheating. Everything's cheating, dude. What are you talking about? Dude, we are, we've hacked the system, you and me. We've made can a you, life out of this. Can you believe this? That we just come up with some silly shit, put it to music, and then people buy it. They like have bought into it. (laughs) Dude, it's amazing. I love it. For the edification of our listeners, where are you at this very moment? I'm in my studio in Austin, Texas. It's really beautiful. I can see behind you. It's like a freaking nightclub. It, yeah, well, I I started doing during the pandemic. I started doing live streams out of here every every week, and then so I started. Hang, I hung some like Christmas lights, and then I started ordering Christmas lights on Amazon, and they had these icicle lights, which so I hung those up, and then I put up these yellow stars that are reminiscent of the stage setup that I used to have when I was in a band called the Scabs back in the nineties. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's where we're at now. It's funny. I feel like when I think back on all the different um, iterations of you, there's so many bands and so many band names and then like, or Lonely Land, it's just you or whatever. There's, there's a lot. You're scattered. Well, it seems like a lot, but I mean, I've been doing it for a long time. Like if I had only been, if I'd only been making music for like two years, then it'd be like, oh shit, that's a lot. But I've been doing it for, I've been doing it for 30 years. I st- I've been doing nothing but music since 91. So we're yeah. talking 32 years. And when you add it up, I mean, it's like, could you do a little more? That's true. I take it all back. It's not yeah, that yeah. scattered. So <laughs> I've had like Joe Rockhead, the scabs, ugly Americans, Lonely Land, Bob Schneider, Texas Bluegrass Massacre, Moonlight Orchestra. That's it. Not a lot. And all of those are basically what would happen would be like I wrote us, I'd write a song and then I couldn't play it in the earlier project. And so I'd have to start a new band to play that song. And that's and but now it's just Bob Schneider. I've gotten rid of all the other stuff. See, marketing. 
It's not marketing. I just got tired of like listening to anybody else. You know how it is. You were, you're in a band and you want to respect everybody in the band. You want to get along, but ultimately at the end of the day, you're the songwriter. You're the one that should be making the decisions. You're at a certain point. You're like, I'm not going to listen to the triangle player dictate (laughs) what's going on the album. And uh, you know what I mean? No. I'm not allowed to say yes to what you're saying because I'm still in my band right now. We're about to make a new record where the triangle player will have an equal vote to mine. <laughs> so, Dude, more power to you. I mean, that's that's saying a lot about your character and how nice you are as a human being. I, I'm, I, I can't do it anymore. It's, I mean, even when I started the band Lonely Land, it was a band in name only. That was yeah. just Bob Schneider. I, I just didn't want to call it Bob Schneider. It reminds me of your brand, the F-A-Y-M brand. Well, speaking of the F-A-Y-M brand, I the F-A-Y-M brand was actually, I wrote a rock, I wrote a song. Again, this is, again, going back to the thing where I would write a song and then have to start a new project. So I wrote a song called Somewhere or Someday back in about 2004. And it sounded like a song that would be like in a musical or something. So I was like, oh, let me see if I can put some other songs of mine together kind of like mama mia yeah or like tommy yeah or like the wall and create like a rock opera and create a story and so i did that and i called it can i cuss yeah all you want yeah go ahead so i called it fuck all you motherfuckers and back in the mid 2000s you could still it was right at the end where you could still like sell cds yeah so i was doing artwork for i was going like oh i'll put this out as a cd with all these songs and so i'm putting the artwork together and i'm like i can't put I can't write fuck all you motherfuckers on the cover of the CD. Yeah. So I just put F-A-Y-M. And I liked the I liked the way that looked. And so I started printing up t-shirts, never put out the album, <laughs> never did the stage production of fuck all you motherfuckers. <laughs> Cut to 19 years later, 18 years later, or uh and and I finally I still haven't put the music out, but I during the pandemic, I, I met up with this guy online, Justin Barker, who's a illustrator. And he illustrated the book. So this is, this is it right here. Wow. So it's a, it's, it's a graphic novel, which is, so it's basically the, it's the F-A-Y-M, but in graphic novel form. So it's a big comic book. Anyways, this, this is coming out in April. Dude, congratulations. That's incredible. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Is, Is it utilizing lyrics from the songs or just the stories and ideas? It just the stories and ideas. So that was the challenge was like the whole thing is basically these this group of songs, just like a rock, just like an opera. There's very little dialogue. Yeah. So I sent him all the songs. I go, this is what the story is. This is what happens like in the stage production. And he's like, OK, I can work with that. And then he came up with some other sort of interesting graphic ideas um, to kind of flesh it out. So we'd have something to, you know to draw and stuff. So anyways, it turned out great. Like I'm, I'm super excited about it. Well, so that's one answer to my traditional first question on this, which is um, what creative project are you working on at the moment and how does it light you up? Well, <laughs> I like the dude. I like, I like the, I like the verbiage light you up. The positive spin. I don't know. I really don't know if anything lights me up, but you know what lights me up? these cookies that they have at whole foods called dark butter or brown butter cookies that's mm. 
what lights me up. Nice. That limoncello that you were sipping, that's what lights me up. But like coming into the studio and writing a song, I don't know, man. Does that light does that light you up to to think about you know, strapping the plow onto the mule and going out into the creative fields and trying to plow another hit hit? I mean, well, I've never thought about it like a hit because I'm not going to kid myself, but it's funny because you like you and I, this interview right now ran an hour later than I thought it would be. And during that hour, I finished a song that I started yesterday. And then I was about to be finished with this song I was working on with Roseanne Cash. So, and it was both pretty fun. Like I felt like, you know, this is clicking. I don't know if I was like on fire with creative, you know, joy or whatever, but it was not unpleasurable. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. I love what I do and I like, I like to write songs. And when you come up with something that's fun and good, it's exciting for a second, but it's not, you, you know, this you've written so many great songs. It's not going to change anything ultimately. You know what I mean? Like when you're young and you're writing, you think somehow it's going to save you. Like it's going to make you famous or rich or you're going to meet somebody interesting because of it. And that is somehow going to be the panacea to this anxiety and this sort of sensitivity that you have to life. Somehow it's going to fix that part of you. And it just doesn't. And so when you get older and you realize, oh, none of this is really going to do anything. Why are you doing it? You know, you don't have that same hopeful feeling that you had when you're younger, but it is something to do. And I don't know. It's interesting. How old is Roseanne Cash? You know what? Um, someone told me once that it's not um, considered polite to ask how old a woman is. So I mean, I'm just going to say she's, she's slightly older than we are. <laughs> she's from Johnny's first marriage, which was the 50s. So somewhere sure. in the 50s was she born. Oh, she was born and married in the 50s? No, she was born. Johnny, she's Johnny's daughter from his first marriage. So oh, she was born got it. in got the it. 50s. Got it. I wasn't sure if she was married to Johnny Cash. So she's <laughs> she's his daughter. Got it. Because I know he like back in those days in the 50s and 60s, people married like Jerry Lee Lewis, like you oh. know, married, married very young. I was just on the Outlaw Country cruise and they were showing Great Balls of Fire, the movie on the on one of the channels on repeat. Uh-huh. It has aged so poorly, dude. That is that movie is messed up. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's neither here nor there. It's, you are reminding me, I just interviewed Owen King, who's a great novelist. Um, and he was talking about the first time he had one of his books come out and the, the FedEx guy brought him the galleys, you know. So it's his first book. He's finally a published author and he goes out in a snowstorm to get it. And, and he thinks that when he holds it in his hands, his whole life will be complete and like all of his anxieties will fall away. And now that he's finally, you know, lived his dream or had done something but it reminds me of what you're saying we it's so anticlimactic once you get your dream once your goal is accomplished and and then like you're saying and then now what and that's been a long time for for him and for you and for me and so why do we keep doing this is it because like a shark we must keep swimming it's like a shark we must keep swimming but it's really because we're human beings and we're men and we are redundant we're not, you don't, we're not necessary. You only need one guy. And if you're not the guy, 
you're out. And if you're out, no procreation, no survival, you're out of the food, you're out of the, you're, it's it, you're done. You're erased from history. And so, uh, you know, you have two kids, I have two kids. We're, we've done our part. We can relax now. You know, we don't need to keep swimming. We can just chill, but that's not the way we're wired. We're wired because we're animals. You and me are animals. We can pretend we're not. We go, oh no, I'm a human being, man. I have, look at my beard. I'm a human. You know, you can say that, but you're an animal, dude. Yeah. And you know that, you know that in your brain. And so, no, you can't stop. And as soon as you stop, you start feeling anxiety because you realize the feeling is, oh shit, if I don't do some work, I'm out. And it's not that you're out, but all of the future generations of you are out. And there's no intellectualizing that and saying, oh, but but I already have progeny. <laughs> By the way, that's the way I call my, that's what I call my kids, progeny. <laughs> I don't call them my children <laughs> progeny. Um, so yeah, you can't ever lose. You can't if, and especially if you're wired, which you are, you're wired that way. You're going to just keep producing stuff. And I don't know if that's for me, it's because I just don't have any self-love. Like I really have no self worth outside of what I do. So everything about me that makes me okay is because of the art or because of the music or because of my children or it's never just like me, Bob Schneider. What? That's so, you know, that's not, you know what I mean? That's nothing. That's not a lovable thing. But my work is, and I'm proud of all that, you know, that's where all my self-esteem comes into. So I guess that's probably why I have the engine that I do. It's just fear that I'm going to die if I don't keep making this stuff. Is there any way to, is there any truth to the spin where like the act of creativity, the building a, a bridge between human beings like that in itself is the meaning of life. And there's something noble about that. I mean, for sure there is like, I mean, I love art because, you know, when you hear, when you hear a song that just connects with some truth like, it just makes you feel so like, I just love hearing some music where I'm just like, Oh, I'm dude. That's me. I'm a human being. Something just like me, another animal, just like me made this, this thing. And it makes you feel so good to be part of that club. Like, I love that about art. And yeah, I think it's really important. Um, but, and I think that's what I think that's why I do it. I think I want to be, I want somebody to hear what I do and go, oh, that really, I love that. I really connect with that. I love you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> and again, they connect with it. They love me. And then I think somehow that's going to do something for me. And it does nothing. It does nothing. And I know, I know I want it to, I would love for people to love me to that for that to have some effect on my life because then i'd be set because i've got lots of i mean when i say lots there's about 300 people that love me <laughs> and that's all you need you get 300 people to love you you're doing all right you know but it does nothing the only thing the only thing that causes that creates joy is me 
loving. So if I can love this music that I'm listening to, that creates joy. If I can love this cookie that I'm eating, that creates joy. If I can love my children, children are easy to love until yeah. they get to be 16, I guess. Oh I don't my God. Um, but yeah, every time I have this thing where I'm feeling love towards something, towards something, not getting it, but towards something, then I'm feeling, then that's where the magic is. Not See, getting it. I, I knew you weren't as cynical as you make yourself out to be. I don't think I'm cynical. I think I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely worst case scenario. <laughs> like there's no part of me that's not thinking worst case scenario. 100% of the time. When it started for you, do you remember a moment or was it just pre precognitive? Um, sorry, I've got somebody coming in. Do you want to let the dog in? Ziggy, come on. Sorry, Bob. My basement, my basement office is Ziggy. Come on. Uh, it's all right. Just leave the door open. Did you let the dog out? No, it, it, my wife is Eric is leaving and Ziggy's going to be all alone in the house and he loves to hang out on this couch behind me. But he whatever. Don't worry about it. I thought we we're going to be get a little closer to the mystery of who let the dog out. <laughs> okay, so but I'm looking for origin story. I'm looking for do you remember a, an epiphany moment when you were like I'm going to be an amazing rock and roll musician or like this is my life or i'm going to be well because i know you do a lot more than just music like obviously you paint and you write do you remember a moment when you wanted to be creative you knew it was this was it well i will say this i i started i've always had i've always been very sensitive and i've always had anxiety like my whole life and I kind of grew up in a in a pretty chaotic environment my dad's an alcoholic my mom liked to party I was just in that environment. And so just my whole life, I've found ways to comfort myself. I sucked my thumb until I was like maybe 10 or 11. Um, and then I started drawing at a really early age. I would always draw like hours and hours a day because that was like my little piece of the, that was like my little place where I could control everything. Like I, everything that happened on the page, I could control with my pencil. And so I found that very comforting in this sort of chaos all around me. As far as playing music, that's something my dad did. My dad was an opera singer. He also played guitar and would have these parties and he would play guitar at the parties. He 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 can play like thousands of cover songs. Like he knows every song that was written from 1940 to 1980. Like there's no song that you can mention that was a hit that was popular that he can't just pick up a guitar and play. And I can't play a single song. That's not one of my own. I don't know any covers. <laughs> so that's kind of what I grew up in. My dad taught me how to play guitar when I was about four or five. There's pictures of me on stage holding a guitar, uh, you know, sitting in with his band, but we would regularly, me and my sister get woken up in the middle of the night. We'd have to go down to the, into the living room and play like row, row, row your boat in front of these drunk people. And when you're four or five, you do anything and people just go nuts. They give, you know, they're like, oh, you're so great. You're so great. So in my cell, in, in my cells, I think I'm this amazing performer. Like I just have that part of me. And like, if I'm playing at a club and there's 120 people there and I'm like, why am I not playing at Wembley Stadium? I'm so good. Like that's 
in every fiber of me, this idea that I'm really good. And I mean, if I look at my history and even, I mean, even now I like look and I'm like, oh man, I was so terrible. I've always been pretty bad, but I've had this idea that I'm really good. It's kind of like John Travolta. I think John Travolta has this idea that he's this great actor. And because of that belief, he's been able to like, he did Grease, he did Pulp Fiction, he did Saturday Night Fever. He did all these amazing performances. He's not that great of an actor, but he has this amazing belief in himself and he put together a series of really good things. And so I think that's the way I am. I have this idea that I'm great. I've always had it from the time I was four or five. And so I've always made music. Critics have always hated it. They hate me, which is fine, but it hasn't stopped me because I'm like, oh, there's like, again, I have 325 people who love what I do. So that's all I need to continue. Um, but what about you? Like, when did you start doing it? Is did you, were you, hate, were you always doing it when you were a kid or? Um, I don't know. I remember being two and singing in the bathtub. Um, you know, I remember in grade school going out and getting the solo with the school pageant, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it feels kind of precognitive. I don't know that I was as celebrated as you were in those first years. I think I, maybe I wind up with a little more self-doubt or um, I'm less convinced of my own powers. Is it? So I wonder about this because you talk about having anxiety a lot and 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 yet you talk about this incredible self-confidence that you have. I wonder when you're when you encounter these in, internally generated obstacles, like the voices in your head that I assume you have that are negative, that try and keep you down or keep you from being your best self or creating or whatever. How what have you figured out? Or is it just that, you know, preternatural self-confidence that was instilled in you at four years old? How do you get past those internally generated obstacles? Well, I'll tell you, when it comes to creativity, when it comes to making art, whether it's writing a song or making a piece of, you know, like, like a painting or a drawing or something like that, the only thing that can stop you from making art is trying to make something great. Because as soon as you, you're trying to make something great, what you're, what you're doing is you're inviting a critic into the room. You're inviting somebody to come in and judge what you're doing. As soon as that person enters the room, you're fucked. You can't do anything because everything that you do is like, oh, that's not good enough. Oh, that's not fucking yesterday by the fucking Beatles or whatever <laughs> the fuck it is, you know, that you think, oh, that's not Bridge Over Treble Watch. I know. We're just starting, bitch. Shut up. <laughs> so what I've done is I've, I, I tell the critic to go fuck itself the, so there's no critic in here and i prove it by like you know writing i just write songs i just make art i'm not trying to make a great art i'm not trying to make a good song the, and when i when i do when i'm trying to make something great it just stops you dead in your tracks we had a phrase one year and we tried to use the n-word was the phrase and uh, it was like the young. actual N word or the, the actual N word, the phrase, the actual, word. Okay. the actual N word was going to be in, oh my was going to be the phrase. And we were younger. It's <laughs> it was a different time. It was 15 years ago. Okay. I'm, and of I'm course, over all, distancing, distancing. Of course, all of us, <laughs> none of us, we're not racists. 
so we're like, oh, if we're going to use this word in a song, we we have to like we have to write, you know, dust in the wind or what's the, the answer? My friend is blowing in the wind. We got to write like the song that ends racism if we're going to use a song. And I'm telling you, dude, it stopped us. All of us we were just like, what? I mean, I didn't know what to write. Anyway, I ended up writing something just really just ridiculous. And my friend, Billy Harvey, who you probably know, Billy. I Harvey, love right? Billy. Yeah, yeah. He ended up writing just a totally crazy song. Um, and it basically we we were unable to write. We were unable to write the song that ended racism, unfortunately. <laughs> And, and, but again, it was, it was this lesson, like, don't, don't try to write something. Don't try to write a great song. Just write a song. Yeah. Have fun. You should be like a kid playing on a playscape. Like, that's what it should be. It should be like, again, you're like catching that butterfly, like SpongeBob SquarePants trying to catch a jelly for a jellyfish. That's, and when you're in that place, you really, that's when you write the great things that your greatest songs that you've ever written came to you suddenly and unexpectedly. You wrote them down as quick as you could. And when it was over, you're like, holy shit, where did this come from? And the songs that you spine over and bend, you know, like, oh, oh, I got this third, I got to get the third. Those songs are, those aren't the good songs. It comes up here. On, uh, and during these conversations over and over again, the idea that calculation is the death of creativity, like it, to go yeah, to go into something, trying to write a hit or trying to make money or trying to make some group of people happy or the critics or something. It's yeah. funny. It's ironic, too, though, because you talk about how Bo Burnham and Jeff Tweedy are these incredible like they know what they're doing and and it's all very conscious, this thing that they're doing. But I wonder like when they make the thing that they make that touches you, is it something that they set out to calculate or is it something that just came to them like you're describing how we do it? I don't know how they do it, but what I do is I, I tend to write a lot. I yeah. like to write a lot of songs. So I the minimum for me is 50 songs a year because I write a song a week. Yeah. But I used to, I used to write more than that. I used to write two or three songs a week. Now at this age, that's way too many. It was probably too many back then. But what happens if you write 50 songs is you know what your 10 best songs are out of those 50. And also they're not that precious. If you've only written two songs, they're going to be really precious to you. If you've written 50, you can throw away 40 of them, you know? So I think with those guys, what they probably do, they probably do the same thing. They probably start in that creative place. And once they've gotten something together, then they go, what do I want to do with this? Once you get the architecture of the song, once you get the words, the melody, the arrangement, once you, you can do anything with it. I mean, Jeff Tweedy, the thing I realized about him at some point with Wilco, and they made a conscious decision to never do anything funky. Like there's not a funky song on any Wilco record. And that's a conscious thing that they decided to do. They realized they're, they're like, yeah, funky stuff is like dumb. That's for dummies. Critics aren't going to like, critics don't like dance music. They don't like anything funky. So they just refuse to do it. Now that band is amazing. They could do anything. But I went and saw them playing like, are these guys ever going to play anything groovy? <laughs> the answer was no, they're not. And no. 
but, oh, and, but so they're cool. great, but they're a great band. They have a great, there's a lot of great music there. So I think, you know, you can, you could take a song and you could do anything with it. Once it's written, you can do a country version of it. You can do a funky version of it. You can do an Americana version of it. That's the stuff that you can do later on with that, with your intelligence and your smarts and kind of knowing what narrative you want to tell or what story you want to tell. That's where that comes in. And it's something I could probably work on more that I don't really spend a lot of time just because I like, I'm like a little kid. I like that creative part. I don't like the other adult, you know, let's do something, you know, let's, let's be serious for a second. That part I'm, I probably could work on a little bit. Do, um, yeah, the, the choices is what you're talking about, right? The production. Do you try songs in a lot of different styles? Will you will you try a song with like you know the try it as a waltz, try it as a you know the as like the Clash would do? Our our friend Salim Narala, our mutual friend Salim, uh-huh. when he's when he's produced the old ninety sevens, we have a running joke where we'll play him a song. He'll go, oh, that sounds really good. Now try it like the Clash. <laughs> right. Every fucking song. But do you do yeah, that yeah. where every song can be any any version of it? Well, I've been doing this weekly gig at the Saxon Pub every oh, yeah. Monday for 20, going on 25 years. Wow. Every, every Monday. And when I was early on, especially, I would do a lot of that, where I'd try songs different ways, different feels, try to reinvent the wheel every time I'd play it. I don't do it as much now. I kind of figure that stuff out when I'm writing the song. Yeah. Um. And then I just send them a song. I, I send the band a demo and I'm like, let's play it this way. But every once in a while, somebody will request a song. And if somebody requests a song, we're going to do it a different way. We're not going to do it the way we know it just because it's just not the way those Monday nights are set up. It's like a laboratory situation. So we're going to have fun with it. And so usually that means we're just going to do it reggae, basically. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you can do any song reggae. Yeah, you can. Yeah. God, I got stuck once years ago on a one of those cruises. I just got back from the Outlaw Country Cruise as we're taping this. But years ago, I got put on a cruise called Rombello, which was a jam band cruise, he- headlined by Slightly Stupid. Oof. And it was a nightmare. I mean, Six Man that put it on is a great company, but the, yeah. that lineup was not good for me as a solo acoustic artist. My point is that by the end of that cruise, all of my songs had become these kind of backbeat beach versions of whatever, sure. like yeah. murder ballad or whatever thing I had. Yeah, yeah. Because you got to give, you. I mean, you got to give the people what they want, right? Yeah. And also, I'm kind of a sponge. Like at the end of the Outlaw Country Cruise, man, I'm just talking like this because I've been around yeah. all these rednecks all week. Do sure. you do that? Are you kind of like, if you're around people with an accent, you pick up the accent or something? Look, I want to, I want to entertain people. I want people to feel, I, life is hard. Life is chaotic. Life makes no sense. So when somebody comes to see me, I want them to put, leave all that at the door and just for a few moments, just have fun. Or even if it, even if that means sort of like maybe crying a little bit or laughing a little bit, but just their cares and worries, their real cares and worries, put those aside. And let's just do a little make-believe fun time. So that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to carry people away. 
emotionally like a, like I, it should be like an emotional amusement park that people are going to you know i want them i want to entertain people that's my goal yeah. and if that means you know if that means making them feel sad for a minute and then making them laugh a minute later then that's what it means you know dude i'll take your your jam band cruise and i will one up you the only cruise i've ever done was the uh, kiss cruise Oh, and that was and that was solo acoustic why because my manager used to be doc mcgee who manages kiss Uh like in the early 2000s he was my manager for like four or five years and so he's always wanted me to do it and i just didn't want to do it and then he just kept offering me more and more money every year and then finally he just offered me so much money i'm like okay so i show up and it's just me and an acoustic guitar and all the bands are heavy metal bands like from the 80s and 90s how did it go? And kiss. It was fine because at first I was worried, but then I realized, oh, it's not like I'm opening up for kiss and people have to sit through me to see kiss. It's a cruise. Yeah. So they're just walking around. Nobody's coming to see me. And they kind of put me in the middle, you know, in the boat, they have that like middle area the, where there's the a stage. atrium, the atrium stage. Yeah. So they put me there and then people were just like kind of walking by and I was just up there, you know, playing solo acoustic and there was maybe a hundred people gathered but and then people would walk by and i'd make fun of people and (laughs) mess with people or whatever and and it was fun i had a good time that sounds kind of amazing though not gonna lie well i want to go in the camo 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 every year i'm like hey let me get on this camo cruise and they're like no (laughs) and i'm like why and it's six man that does that cruise yeah you'd be but great you'd be great i think it, i think it'd be wonderful yeah, yeah that would be yeah. that would be more my audience yeah and one thing that would make you so good on that is that so, so much of that cruise is very kind of quiet and you know uh serious and, and you are like you said you're an entertainer you would bring a sort of vitality that maybe some of the artists don't offer so much well i think from for me, I mean, I love, I love doing serious stuff. Yeah, but only if I'm mixing it with silly stuff. And I, I would hate to just do silly stuff without mixing it with serious stuff. That would be, yeah, horrible too. So, yeah, my favorite is, my favorite songs that I've ever written are at one point in the song, you're sad, and then at another point you're laughing. smiling. Yeah, maybe not laughing, but. Or you, or you start out and you're like, oh, this is a, this is like a humorous song, and then all of a sudden it's very touching, yes, and sweet. Yeah. So yeah, so, so yeah, when you have a chance, you know, when you're playing a place where people are actually listening, like him, like I love Thirty A. I go, I, I've been doing that for eight years. You nice. know, that's all listeners that come to that. So you really have a chance to kind of, I don't know, show off your lyrics or show off your songs. For the listeners, that's a festival down in Florida every January at the 30A Music Festival. That's a great festival, man. That's uh, man, yeah, you'd you'd be great. So okay, so you talked about having teenagers and or having kids, and um, as these kids close in on adulthood much more quickly than we want them to. Um, it makes this more of a uh, practical question. If you were to confront a 21-year-old version of Bob Schneider working in today's world, um, what advice would you give this younger version of yourself? <laughs> Dude, 
if I, I, nothing, because I wasn't listening to anyone back then. Like I, if I would have showed up and said, Hey, you know, I, well, I, I didn't quit drinking until I was 29. I, I, you know, I probably would have said, Hey, you can, you can quit drinking now. It's never going to get better. Like you're never going to be better at drinking than you are now. So, you know, I wouldn't give myself any, I, Oh, I, you know what advice I'd give myself? Change your name. Like there's no worse name than Bob Schneider. It's the worst name in the world. And I don't know why I didn't change it. I was going to change it to King Poncho at one point. That's <laughs> terrible. That's a terrible name, but I should have changed it for sure. Like Bob Dylan, that's a great name. Like what? I don't know why I didn't. Rhett Miller is a great name, but Bob <laughs> Schneider is the worst. And I'm telling you, dude, there's so much mileage in a good name. Like, like uh, the war on drugs. Yeah. One of the best names for a band of all time. Like if you give yourself a good name, it really is helpful. So yeah, that, that's what I would say. Change your name. Our friend Salim Narala might argue with you about the worst name because he's complained about his own name. No, his is worse. Salim Narala is for sure worse than Bob Schneider, but they're both bad. <laughs> They're both terrible. <laughs> what about old 97s? I heard the word old is bad for marketing. <laughs> the I record would not, label I would not name my thing. band old 97s. But no. when you when you named your band old 97s, you guys were all young. Yeah. You're still one of the best looking men oh. I've ever seen. And you're, I'm not even going to say how old you are. 52. Well, that's young to me. Um, cause I'm much older than that. I'm 57. Yeah, but you're holding up pretty well. Well, it's the lighting. Trust me. I, this is, I have, I have really good lighting right now <laughs> set up here, but, um, yeah, when you're young, you can, you, that's the thing when you're young. I mean, the Beatles, that's a shitty name for a band, Yeah, but, but you don't think of the band name anymore. You just see the picture of those young guys. I was looking at the cover of rubber soul today. How cool do those guys look on yeah. the cover of, of rubber soul? With their with their kind of long grown out, what were those cuts called? Shag, maybe or kind of a shaggy. But the, what was their original cut that they had? Mop tops. It was like yeah. kind of a grown out mop top on the cover of Rubber Soul. Yeah, and they're looking down in the camera, and fucking John Lennon's as cool as fuck, and he's got like a brown suede jacket. Yeah, that that's why those guys will never go out of stuff. They're forever young. So yeah, the. Again, I I wouldn't. Yeah, you're right. Old. It's not a great, not a great, yeah. but it's better than Ugly Americans. Dude, I had a band called Ugly Americans. I hated yeah. that name. Yeah. Don't call the band Ugly anything. What about the Scabs? Terrible name. <laughs> Dude, it's just nonstop terrible names for me. I, I, like, the a, Texas, I like the Texas Bluegrass Massacre. That's my favorite name for any. That is, that is true. Was it straight bluegrass, though? It was it was all my songs, but with bluegrass instruments. So banjo, dobro, fiddle, mandolin, accordion, no drummer, and stand up. And we had a drummer. Well, because that's breaking the law, the bluegrass law. It, it's breaking the bluegrass law, but it is more fun. We, well, we broke a lot of laws. Yeah, uh, with bluegrass. First <laughs> of all, you can't call it the Texas Bluegrass Massacre. Massacre. <laughs> like I always wanted to play the Broken Spoke, and the guy who owned the Broken Spoke 
would not let the band play because of that name. Yeah, I could see that. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, it's like anything clever or meta does not go down well with the country scene. Like it's got to be earnest and it's got to be right on. Dude, look who you're talking to. It's my whole career. <laughs> I, that's not true at all, dude. You appeal to a, not, a wide, wide group of people. You, you, Your fans are smart. They're all over the map. Now, there's definitely some country people that enjoy country music. That's the thing. That's that's the other thing, dude. Those Venn diagrams. Mm-hmm. Like old 97s, you hit a lot of Venn diagrams. And uh, but here's the test: Who, what band hits the most Venn diagram or the most circles? Uh, Tom Petty, the Black Keys. Oh, okay. What's the argument for that? Well, they just they they there's a lot of groups that love the Black Keys. Like it can be indie, uh-huh. it can be blues, it can uh-huh. be rock, it can be uh, Americana, Americana. It can be country-ish. Well, I guess it's still Americana-ish too. I don't know about I don't know about pure garage. Country, garage. Uh, they did a like reggae. They do some reggae kind of stuff early on. They were doing some kind of reggae stuff, jam stuff. I mean, they just fit a lot of. Anyways, nice. Oh but my I god! Think, I, I think old ninety sevens do the same thing. You, oh, you there's you. a lot of like uh, college uh alternative americana country songwriter rock you know what i mean you you just there's a lot of genres that you guys fit into which it's good well i feel like what you want i feel like you, you don't want to exclude anybody i feel like that's what you're up to as well you never said no fun stuff no no funky stuff you said give me that funky stuff well the problem the problem that i've i think a, a big thing that I do is I don't edit myself enough. Like I, I appreciate, I, I have songs like hanging out with the horny girls or all I want to do is rock this motherfucker. All night. Like, or, or I, I fucked your daughter in the ass boy, like oh, songs Jesus like this oh my God. that that are really gonna, <laughs> that are really gonna exclude a lot of people from enjoying the rest of what I do. And so and especially when it comes to like critics and people that write about music, like I'm, I'm including songs because I really like silly songs and I like being silly and I think it's part of life. And I think music should reflect like, not just the serious stuff or not just the falling in love or not just the falling out of love or being angry or being, but a lot of life is just dumb falling and, banging your knee and i think music i love music that kind of reflects that you know yeah so i i have so yeah so i mix a lot of that stuff in there and and uh it's definitely gonna you know people will hear it and they're like yeah i'm out (laughs) you know I, i i don't it's not it discounts a lot you know what i mean it just discounts a lot it discounts the rest of it yeah, but people are wrong frequently, so fuck them. I mean, for sure. <laughs> what was it, Jean Paul? See, I'm getting, I'm definitely gonna get a shirt. I, I just thought of it like right before this, right before I started talking to you today. I'm like gonna do a shirt called 
and I, I stole this from Chris D'Elia because he does this all the time where he like uh, uses apostrophes and stuff. And it's just going to say, mm, apostrophe artist, I'm artist. <laughs> because people are like, hey, man, you can't do that. You can't say that. You can't. And I'm like, I'm artist. I'll do what I want. Yeah. It's the thing about art. You can do what you want. Now, people are afraid to do what they want because, you know, we're living in a climate where people will take something you say and take it completely out of contract, context and try to cancel you or try to make you feel bad or make people not like you or do stupid stuff like that. But still choice. You have a choice. You can do whatever you want. You know, you have to, unfortunately, pay the price <laughs> for that, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to print that up next. Mm, artist. artist. Well, it's like, mm, like I'm an artist, like I'm an artist. Anyways, it's I feel like, I feel like if everybody I know you um, as much as anyone have the right to make that claim, I just feel like there's a boldness and a, um, an insouciance and a recklessness to you and your uh, career that, I don't know. I really, I really love it. And I feel like that there's been a lot of really useful stuff in this, this interview you've given me today. And I really appreciate you showing up and being a part of wheels off. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. I've only run into you a few times. Every time I do, it's such a pleasure. I, I, I wish you could bottle who you are and I could drink it and have it infused to me because <laughs> I, I would love to make people feel as heard and as um special as you do you have a real gift for it you're just a you're just a really beautiful person and you you just every time i run into you i just feel like oh it was so nice and and, and a lot of that is you are are able to listen and and hear and then and respond in, in a really lovely way you're just a really lovely and of course you're very talented too. You're oh. wonderful, but but just you as who you are. You you're just a really special, wonderful person. So it's it's nice to spend this time with you, and I appreciate you having me. Thanks, dude. You're so great. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget, and we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. 
Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.